Friday, thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for praying in groups. You know, that's a good, good thing for us to do, lift these different ones up. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 23 tonight. While you turn there, uh, trying to compete with Pastor Forsberg's useless information, did you see the hot dog eating contest yesterday? Anybody sit up and watch that? Did you? you know, well, you can't answer if you know the answer, but how many hot dogs were eaten yesterday for a new record? It didn't happen at our event, although Grant tried. Uh, he only made 10, though. He ate 10, which uh, was, uh, I told him he kept 10 tracks out of the hands of people. That's a different way of looking at it, but. Uh, Joey Chestnut ate 62 hot dogs yesterday. Wanted to think so, and uh, he's a skinny guy like me, skinny, you know, just like that. We're in First Samuel. T- <laughs> hey, hey, peanut gallery. First Samuel chapter 23. Have you ever uh, have you ever been hated, like really, really hated? Have you ever hated somebody? Um, that's a that's a, it's a terrible feeling, really on both ends. It's a terrible feeling. Uh, the the uh, to to be hated is uh, is a powerless feeling, and to hate somebody is a very ugly. Uh, it, it, it does ugly things to you in your heart. Um, hatred is devastating to our spirits, uh, receiving or giving. Either way, it's a devastating thing. Hatred paralyzes life. Uh, love releases it. Hatred confuses life, love harmonizes it. uh, Hatred darkens life, and love illumines it, illuminates it. Is that the word? Makes light come, okay? That's what that means. A life filled with hate will destroy you. It will consume you. And we're looking at a man who is filled with hate, Saul, for David. And for horrible reasons, but I'm going to look tonight at just see what kind of actions it caused a little bit and how this can apply to us. One of the worst cases of hatred that I ever read was written in uh, a will, uh, was written in 1935 by a Mr. Donahoe. And this is what he wrote in his will. Unto my two daughters, Frances Marie and Denise Victoria, by reason of their unfilial attitude toward a doting father, I leave them the sum of one dollar each and a father's curse. May their lives be fraught with misery, unhappiness, and poignant sorrow. May their deaths be soon and of a lingering, malignant, and torturous nature. No, it gets worse. We're just talking about normal hatred right here. This is a father, and the last line, I hesitate to even read it aloud. May their souls rest in hell and suffer the torments of the condemned for eternity. Now, that's hatred. Don't, we, I don't think we'd all agree. That is some serious hatred. How do you get there? A father to daughters. How do you get to that point of hatred? And this really is the type of hatred that Saul had for David. I mean, it was completely irrational hatred. And we're going to look tonight at what that kind of led to some of his actions. It became an obsession and it consumed him. He lost his children. He lost his best man. David was really his best man in the military, his best right-hand man. He killed Goliath and saved the nation. So he he lost this national hero. Uh, Michael has sided with David. Jonathan has sided with David. He's losing everything, but his obsession does not stop. He's just after him. Let's look at verse number 7, chapter 23 of 1 Samuel. And it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah, and Saul said, God hath delivered him into mine hand, for he is shut in by entering 
into a town that hath gates and bars. And Saul called all the people together to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. And he said to Abathar the priest, bring hither the ephod. Then said David, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. So Saul's coming. Now, here's the next question, and it's an important one. Then said David, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver thee up. Then David and his men, which were about 600, rose and went, departed out of Keilah and went whithersoever they could go. And we'll get to that more later. But let's uh, ask the Lord to be with us, Father, tonight as we uh, go through this part of the passage. I pray it help us to learn something to apply to our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Saul is so obsessed with killing David that he employs his army here to help him kill David. It shows just how sin-sick he has become by rebelling against God, and it would end up destroying him. All right, Hatred always ends up destroying the vessel which it is in in the first place. And so H.E. Fosdick said this, A man who hates to be slapped on the back packs his coat with TNT and waits for the man who always slaps his back. Okay, His idea is that when he hits me this time, I'll get him. I'll blow him up. But hate kills both the person you hate and yourself as well. That's a silly illustration, but that's how hate works. It destroys the person who has it as well as the person that it's against. Usually the person who has it more than the person it's directed to. Now I want to look at two significant case studies for the hatred of Saul against David. We'll look at one tonight and one next week. But tonight we look at Keilah here. Or Kyla, I guess is the way it's pronounced. David and his followers had escaped to Kyla. And while they were there, they're fighting off the Philistines who are robbing the threshing floors. And I love that in spite of David's troubles, in spite of all of his problems, he's still serving his nation. He's still serving his country. He's still helping his people. He's fighting against the Philistines. He didn't have to. He's a fugitive himself. But he still is doing what he's supposed to be doing. And I like that about David. That means there's some character in this man uh, because he cares about something that's outside of himself. And boy, that's uh, different than Saul, isn't it? We'll see that even more in a minute. Why should he have helped Keilah, by the way? Whose job was it to help Keilah? Saul, yeah, Saul was the head of the military. If anybody would come and rescue Keilah from the Philistines, it should have been Saul, but it wasn't Saul, it was David. Because Saul was busy going after his own problems and taking care of his own issues and fulfilling his own hatred and murderous intent. It had nothing to do with helping the people of Israel. So uh, in verse 7, it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah. So he obviously had spies out watching for him, as we talked about last week. And uh, notice the information that comes. David has come to Keilah. Nothing is said about David protecting and delivering Keilah from the Philistines. Nothing said about David doing Saul's job, doing a good thing for the people. Uh, no doubt Saul knew about the exploits of David. He, he surely was aware of what was going on. But Saul's interest in not, is not in David's work. It's in David's whereabouts because he wants to kill him. David's heroics were unappreciated. And this is often the experience of God's people. I was told today, and, and it's been knocking back and forth in my brain, the connection between ungratefulness and hatred, bitterness, and those type of things. There's absolutely a connection, and we see it in this passage here. Uh, there was a tremendous ungratefulness 
for what David was doing. Uh, this is often the experience of Christians as well. You may do good things and try to do the best that you can, and only what's negative is reported of it. And it's a painful thing when your best efforts only bring criticism. And often people do not see the work that goes on behind the scenes. They don't understand all the extra uh, out-of-sight work that's going on, and it's just easy to be critical over what's in front. And they'll pick on something negative. I remember we had uh, a week and a half ago, we hosted, a couple weeks ago, I guess, we hosted the NTA meeting here, and it was a nightmare. If those of you that are involved, they had shut down the road, we had no access to the church, and we have all these people coming in from about seven states, and uh, and they tell us we can't get to the church, and so we had to mow a path in the grass and, and, and fight with the contractors over here to try to get access. And uh, a lot of that going on behind the scenes. I was on the phone late at night with the city. I was here hours before the conference trying to work things out there. And uh, I remember one guy came in and uh, that, that just complained, just complained about a, you know, one of the doors wasn't unlocked or this or that. And, uh, you know, it can get discouraging. I, I didn't let it, but but that's how some people are, and I don't want to be that person, by the way. No idea all the work that's going on behind the scenes to try to make it work and just to be negative and criticize. Uh, that is not the way that we ought to be. There's an old story about a preacher leaving a church and uh, going to take another ministry. And at the farewell dinner, uh, you know, folks are grieving that he's going, and he's trying to encourage one woman who is particularly distraught and and uh, so he was trying to encourage her. He said, don't be sad. He said, the next preacher will probably be better than I am. And she said, that's what they told us last time, but it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. It's, you know, some things aren't encouraging to hear, but we all need encouragement, don't we? Uh, the, old, uh, the, the, the life that we lead uh, demands at times that we have some encouragement. All of us need it. We need to be lifted up at times. The most outwardly happy people, the ones who are always bubbling and effervescent and always got a smile on their face, they need encouragement too. A lot of times there's, they need encouragement more than anybody else does, but we, we need to encourage each other. And uh, they, people crave this. One word can inspire or physically even help people or hurt them, depending on what that word is. There was a study done using children and the effects that encouragement has for them. They hooked all the wires and different sensors up to them, and, and they found that when they encouraged and they gave kind words that the uh, children's energy level went up, and when they said discouraging things and unkind things, their energy level would decrease. And uh, the study was done with children, but I have an idea we'd get the same results with adults because we like encouragement. We like uh, to others to encourage us, and we need to be an encouragement to others. Uh, when is the last time that you've encouraged someone? When's the last time you've sent out a thank you note uh, just because and being grateful for something? Because gratefulness will increase uh, or, or decrease the chance of hatred and bitterness and all these things in your heart. Everyone, and by the way, when you encourage someone, is basically letting them know that you care for them. And doesn't everyone like to be cared for? Amen. That's something we all want. I ask you this week, what have you done to encourage someone? Make an effort. Now, often David's experience here was also the experience of Jesus Christ. Jesus, all he did was to go around and do good. In fact, that's what the how John sums him up. He just went about doing good. And uh, that everything he did was good, yet all kinds of evil reports were circulating about him, and eventually it ended in his death. 
Uh, evil, there's evil reports still about Jesus Christ. Godless Hollywood productions about him being a homosexual, uh, about him being a sinner, uh, other movies about him having affairs with uh, Mary Magdalene and other women, and, and all these, this type of garbage that's in the world today. Um, just because we're doing what's right, just because we're doing good, does not mean that everybody's going to give us an old pat on the back. Amen? So we need to be doing it for the Lord and not for that anyway. Now look at verse 7. Here's another interesting verse. And Saul says, God hath delivered him into my hand. Really, Saul? God's delivered him into your hand? So God's rejected Saul. God has chosen David. And God has shown over and over how wicked what Saul is doing, giving him every warning in the book. And now he finds out where David is, and God's the one that's delivered him to him? That's interesting to me. Saul perverted providence to sanction his own evil. Saul thought or said that the situation at Kilah was so that Saul could go and kill David, which was God's man. This is utter nonsense. Matthew Henry made a quote. Saul abused the God of Israel in making his providence to patronize and give countenance to Saul's malicious designs. In homeschool English, that is, Saul abused God's name to do his own will. That's what he did. Uh, Saul, aha! Now he, he can't say that uh, I can have my own way now. I can get what I want. He, he wanted to kind of holify it up a little bit, so he used God's name in it. Any Mountain Dew drinkers in here? Mountain Dew? No, we're not. Oh, you are? Wow, there's one. Um, mostly that's a teenage drink anymore, I think. I haven't drank a Mountain Dew in years. It's a little too sweet for me. But I think it's hilarious when I'm in different stores and I see knockoff Mountain Dew. Uh, have you ever seen some of the names? Let me read you a few. Mountain Mist, Mountain Lightning, Mountain Frost, Mountain Charge, Mountain Drive, Mountain Chill, Mountain Holler, and... There's a store down south called Food Lion, and they saw Mountain Lion. <laughs> it's a Mountain Dew knockoff. Why not just call it liquid citrus candy? Because that's basically what it is. But what, what the, you understand what they're trying to do, don't you? They're trying to capitalize off the popularity of Mountain Dew. So let's, and by the way, it's always some shade of green. Now you don't have, they're trying to kind of match uh, what Mountain Dew is. They're trying to appropriate the popularity of something else. And we love, we love to do that with God. We love to pull God's will into our desires. We need to be careful with that. I read a, I don't know if you read this, this, uh, this is a, a headline, news headline that I saw a couple of weeks ago and laughed myself silly. Criminal caught after cutting off 37 man buns in one day claims I was doing the Lord's work. And I said, Amen! <laughs> but, but still, I mean, it is illegal, and you probably shouldn't be doing it, so let's not try to attach the Lord. But we do that all the time, don't we? What we, we do what we want to do, and then we attach the Lord's will to it, and uh, we need to be careful with that. Uh, one commentary said this, That man has sunk to a fearful depth, who blatantly assumes that the Almighty is working to further his wicked plans. And that's what Saul, exactly what Saul was doing. So Saul, verse 8, calls all the people to war. Go down to Kilah and besiege David and his men. What a sick order. Now, remember this. Kilah is being attacked by the Philistines and Saul did nothing. Now David's there saving them from the Philistines. And now Saul orders the army to Kilah to take David. Twisted. Because he's full of hate. And people who are full of hate do really dumb things. 
Really, really dumb things. And so this is where Saul's at. He did not call all the people to go to war to go to Kyle and help them when they needed to fight the Philistines. He only was interested in using the army for his personal gain. And the cause of the people was not his concern. And that's, the, that's so typical of many governments today, isn't it? Uh, only after their own uh, gain and only for themselves, they use their elected positions to promote their own interests. How many congressmen do we have that went in broke and came out millionaires? Uh, there's a lot of them because they're uh, not honest. Most of them aren't. Um, I've always thought that every public official ought to serve two terms. I believe in term limits. Two terms. One in their position and one in jail. Um, and it's okay. It's okay if you and I don't know what it's for. They know what it's for, or nobody else does. But um, anyway, Saul, let's look at the solution, though. He's coming after David. The Bible says David's aware of it. Uh, and we have a great contrast between the conduct of David and Saul. We've seen that Saul has sent troops to uh, Kyla to catch David. Now look at David's reaction to him, was to go to God in prayer. I think this is interesting. And there's seven things about his prayer. I'm going to fly because I have about that many minutes. But uh, the prompting of his prayer, look at verse 9. David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. So his knowledge of Saul's intentions prompted his prayer. Prayer was a wise way uh, to deal with the evil of Saul. And God's going to help him and illuminate his plans as well. The evil of our government and our land ought to drive us to our knees as well. We talked about that last Sunday. We ought to be in prayer for our nation as well. And uh, the, this is then we see the provision for his prayer in verse 6, 9, and 10. It talks about Abathar. Remember, Abathar was one of the priests that got escaped when Abimelech and all those were killed. And so Abathar came to David. And he had brought the ephod with him. Uh, along with that was the, uh, uh, th there were the vestments of the high priest. Along with that was the, uh, the Urim and the Thummim. And uh, this is how the will of God was determined. So now David did not take for granted his spiritual advantage. This is important. Uh, he asked uh, now uh, Abathar to ask of God what he should do about Saul's evil plans. And he's taking advantage of his spiritual blessings, and we ought to do the same thing. One of our biggest spiritual blessings is what we hold in our hands right here. And yet we ignore it, we don't read it, we don't study it, we don't apply it, and uh, that's an unwise way to live our life. We also have prayer. The single greatest uh, weapon in our arsenal as a Christian and maybe the least used in many Christians as well. God has given us the local church, and yet it's not a priority to many people. So let's not take it, let's take advantage of our spiritual blessings, not taken for granted. Uh, number next here, the piety of his prayer. Look at uh, verse 10. Lord God shows, uh, refers to himself as thy servant. He comes humbly, and that's a good way to come, uh, in prayer. And then the preference of his prayer. Uh, verse 10, Saul seeketh to come to Kyla to destroy the city for my sake. It's interesting that David's praying an unselfish prayer here. Who's Saul after? David. What does David pray about? He's going to destroy the city for my sake. Isn't that interesting? Saul is only focused on himself. David's first concern is for other people, not himself. Because he's not at heart a selfish person like Saul was. And I think that's interesting. Uh, he first, his first concern was the destruction of Kila. He's also, of course, concerned about himself, but it first was Kila and uh, didn't want his presence to be bad for them. And then the passion of his prayer. He prayed earnestly, verse 11, I beseech thee. Good praying is earnest praying. 
How we come to God is often the way uh, it determines the way that he answers. James 5.16, the effectual prayer of a righteous man, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then the petition. Uh, he asks God, will the men of Kyla deliver me up? This is what just, I, it just blows my mind. Yes, Saul's coming. That's not a surprise. As soon as Saul knew David was there, he's heading that way. And then his next prayer was, will the men of Kyla give me up? Why would they? I mean, he's just saved them from the Philistines. And God says, yes, they're going to give you up. Well, that's nice, isn't it? Ungratefulness. That is incredibly ungrateful of them. They're going to betray him. Uh, by the way, back just before we leave the prayer part, prayer gives you a lot better eyesight and vision of what's going on. And David recognized what's going on. Saul's coming. He's going to be betrayed by these people. And it was through prayer that he got it. And if we, in our Christian life, stop trying to manipulate things and go to God in prayer, it'll help our spiritual vision. So they leave. They left, him and his men. And it was a rebuke to the, the men of Kyla, and it's a rebuke to Saul, of course, as well. Having to leave Kyla for their own safety. What terrible ingratitude of the people of Kyla. They had been saved by David from the Philistines, but they would not save David from Saul. And I got to tell you, one of my biggest pet peeves is ungratefulness. I don't know about you, but it just, that's one of the things that'll just really fire me up is ungrateful people. To be honest, we, uh, when I take missionaries or visiting pastors, uh, I get a little judgmental. If I take a family out or something, there's no thank you and there's no gratefulness. I, that, that bothers me because I think the, the least anybody can do is be grateful. Everybody can be grateful. Just say thank you. Just be grateful for these things. And, and people that are expectant or entitled, it's not only millennials out in the college campuses. It's also uh, a lot of Christians are very entitled as well. But we, we ought to be grateful. To do something for someone and there's no appreciation, it's, I don't know about you. It's tough for me. If, if it's not for you, you're just more spiritual than I am. That's a distinct possibility. But it's tough for me. I remember years ago, I'm pumping gas at a speedway in Lansing, Michigan, and uh, there lies a purse, or I'm sorry, a wallet, lying right beside the uh, gas pump there. I pick it up. I can tell, obviously, that it's a woman's wallet because it has like 95 credit cards in it, and uh, it's pink, and it has a woman's license in it, and uh, also had a checkbook, and it had a big old wad of cash, it had several hundred dollars in cash in there, and it had a checkbook, and on the checkbook was a phone number. And so I called the phone number, and uh, hello, is this Diane such and such? Yes. And I said, I think I found your wallet. And she had didn't even realize it was missing. And uh, so we set up a, a, draw, a place to meet at the local grocery store there. I went and sat in the parking lot probably for about 20 minutes. It was raining, so I was in my car waiting. And then uh, I saw the car she had described she'd be driving, uh, driving up, uh, pulled next to mine. I had jumped out. I uh, held, and, and she put her window down, and I had the wallet in my hand. I said, are you Diane? And she didn't say a word, grabbed the wallet, put her window up, and left. And I wanted to shoot her tires out, if I'm honest. I just, are you serious? I mean, I, didn't, I could have taken the money. I could have thrown it in the trash. I could have done whatever I want. The, the, I mean, I didn't expect a reward, but thank you? That just bugs me to death. Ungratefulness. Ungrateful. And I, I don't want to be ungrateful in my life. I hope you don't either. We need to be grateful people. And if we're ungrateful, 
I, I really believe this. There's a danger for us to eventually become more and more like Saul if we're ungrateful. Because that's the problem with the people in Kyla there. To do something with no appreciation, that's bad enough. But to do what David did for this uh, people at Kyla and then to be betrayed, that's unconscionable to me. I mean, it's one thing to not say thank you, not be appreciative. But to betray someone after they've done all that for you, and this is what I, be, I tell you, if, if you're going to work at the church and be involved in ministry, this is ministry. In ministry, you will pour into people, and they will put a knife right into your back sometimes. And it just happens. It's, it's a part of serving people. And it's a very unpleasant thing. It's an unfortunate thing. Uh, but when you pour your life into someone, it's happened to me more than once, and you get a phone call, you know, I'm just not getting fed at your church anymore. And, and uh, you know, you've done late nights and you've spent many, many hours helping and assisting their family and being with them. And, and it's just, and it's done. And you feel that betrayal. Uh, that's, by, by the way, that's why it's very important we do what we do for God, not for people. Because you'll, you'll get discouraged very quickly if you're doing it for people. What a rebuke. What a rebuke to the people of Kyla. After all David had done for them, and God says, yep, they're going to sell you out. They're going to betray you. It's a rebuke for them. It's also a rebuke for Saul. The best man in his kingdom is forced to flee from him, nonetheless. Going to kill him. But when your heart is filled with evil, when you are out of fellowship with God, it'll cause good people to flee from you, just like David did from Saul. Uh, that's why good businesses flee corrupt countries. That's why good scientists fled Germany during the, uh, when Hitler was in power. Evil makes the good flee. And we need to make sure that uh, we don't ever get into that trap that Saul's caught in of bitterness and hatred. Look at verse number 13. David and his men went whithersoever they could go. They were safe from Kyla immediately, but they were now fugitives. And they traveled through the country like nomads. They stayed in caves in the wilderness it's a sad lot of many of God's people all throughout the ages. Hebrews chapter 11 says that there were those that because of their faith, they wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And they are people, the Bible goes on to say, of whom the world is not worthy. Wow. Now the most valuable people in the world are seldom the ones that the government honors and are, you know, are honored in the world. They're not uh, in governor's mansions. They are often the people that are uh, living in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, not accepted. In uh, verse 13, it was told Saul that David was escaped from Kyla and he, he forbear to go forth, the Bible says. So that stopped Saul, him leaving Kyla, stopped Saul temporarily. But in the very next verse, we're going to start with next week, he's chasing him again. You know what reminds me? In the New Testament, when, this, when Satan is uh, tempting Jesus, remember that, Matthew chapter 3? And he's tempting Jesus, and uh, uh, then, then it, well, actually in Luke 4, in that uh, account of it, it says he left attacking Jesus in the wilderness and departed from him for a season. We know that's how the devil operates in our life. You might get a, res a little bit of a respite, but he'll be back. He's always going to be back, just like Saul's going to get back to chasing David. We don't get a permanent vacation from it. And so he came back to attack Jesus again, and he'll come back to attack us again as well. Saul came back to attack David again. I'm simply saying as long as you live as a child of God, keep your guard up. 
Satan's always looking for your weak spot. He's always looking for your Achilles heel. He wants to take you down. And uh, we need to be very careful, especially in this area of our spirit. And you have two very opposite, distinct differences between David and Saul. David was supremely unselfish. Saul was 100% wholeheartedly selfish. And selfish people become bitter people. Selfish people become hateful people. And unselfish people are able to uh, be much more balanced in their life as they live for the Lord. So I hope that's you. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have this passage. I pray you'd help us to put it to our, uh, put it to practice, Lord, in our life, and uh, just help us to continue to please you with our service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed. Appreciate you being here today.